Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. I am your host, Scott Needham. I am the CEO of Buy Boxer. We do uh, $60 million a year on Amazon, mainly wholesale. And um, this podcast is all about uh, telling you what I have learned. You know, I am a data nerd. And to talk about like what secrets that I've amassed in seven years of just like being a professional e-commerce seller. And... Um, one of the things that I have uh, really accelerated a lot this last year is meeting a lot of impressive people that teach me a lot of things. And I've kept uh, my mind super open. As you'll know, I, uh, I have two guests that are here uh, with me for today's podcast. And I met them in Puerto Rico while I was on a, on a trip. They reached out to me and, and like, the stars aligned and it made sense that we, uh, when I was going to be there in December, that we would meet up. And so I've got uh, Chris Keefe and Todd Snively, who are very seasoned um, Amazon sellers. They are wholesale. And what I really find interesting about uh, uh, both of them is they have a few unique approaches that uh, you're going to learn about. Um, but also Chris, who was a corporate guy, went into Amazon first as a private label seller and moved to a wholesale seller. Don't see or hear about that a lot. And so I definitely want to ask him about that. So Chris and Todd, welcome. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. All right. So um, right now, it's almost uh, ignorant to talk about Amazon and not uh, bring up at least a little bit of what's going on right now with uh, COVID-19, coronavirus, like the pandemic. I'm recording this March 31st. You know, we are uh, ready to bunker down uh, for another month um, of just like uncertainty, you know, of what's happening. Some, uh, some products are selling like crazy. This is like e-commerce's moment um, to really shine. Um, Chris and Todd, like, what have you seen? Like, how has this impacted your business? Overall, we're, we're, we're seeing pretty record numbers. And I, I think that there's always a risk of being too opportunist or kind of the, the idea that should you, should you take a silver lining in a, in a, in a downtime or in a difficult right, time. Right. And that's, that's important to note that, that there's, it's always with a tone of, and I hate to speak in a hushed tone, but it's always the idea that, geez, should you capitalize on this? And it's very interesting from the e-commerce perspective because you you have a we have a a global situation that's fascinating, and we're we're making this move where we have to go online. So in the in the idea of early adopters and then the middle people and then the laggards, those that are that are less likely to to buy online, to purchase online, put your credit card in or for whatever reasons. We're now in a situation where we have to do that for safety, for safety of, of, of everybody. So I think the numbers were, it depends, 12.8 to 13%, I don't know exactly what that is, of retail sales in 2019 in the US was online, right? Well, that's clearly going to change. So it is the moment. It's a fundamental shift, I believe, in the way we buy. Now, we thought e-commerce was big before. The opportunities are, are massive. So we're seeing with our community of, of sellers, we're seeing really record numbers and our own numbers are just, just through the roof. So the opportunities really haven't been, haven't been better. 
Yeah. You know, you, there's a lot of like what you said that I wanted to unpack. Um, I mean, it is a bad thing for the economy as a whole, what's going on. It's, it's got a human toll. It's got an economics toll, which eventually does lead to it. Like, like I just saw a report this morning that 200,000 people between Gap and Macy's are being furloughed. And like, mm. there's nothing great about that. And for those people, like this is really hitting them hard. Um, but, and I almost really, like, I actually feel that like, a sense of responsibility to, you know, carry on with my business for the economy. I've got 80 employees that uh, they want economic stability in a time that there's not a lot of stability. And, and so one of the most American things to do is to, is to build your own business and to grow it. And so um, I've see this as a moment for us. Um, but then you mentioned, you know, you don't want to take advantage of this kind of situation. Right. And Amazon has suspended, they announced that they have suspended 3,900 sellers over price gouging. I've had people talk to me regarding, say they, they do have cleaning products. Amazon won't even let them sell it at a profit. We know that Amazon can, tends to overcorrect when there's a major issue. It's, Sometimes you have to overcorrect to actually solve the issue at scale. I mean, when you yeah, have- I think that's a function of. I mean, it's a function of Amazon wanting to be very cognizant of their press, right? And they've yes. got there. There are pluses and minuses, and I'm sure their PR people are, are are struggling a lot of times. And I and I understand that, but we won't we won't talk about all the anything in the past. We'll talk about right now. And I think you're exactly right. You, you're talking a multiple hundred billion dollar company, right? And that's all the, the things I often hear with, with sellers, sometimes third party sellers. Oh man, it's frustrating. Oh, Amazon. Oh, it's a big machine. And you really, you, you really don't fit in. You're a small, tiny, tiny part of a big machine. Well, third party sellers, the numbers are overwhelming that they're increasing. And, and Jeff Bezos had said in a, in a quarterly letter, I think, la, I believe last year, third party sellers are kicking our butt. And that's a good thing, I believe, for us as third-party sellers. But they do paint with a very broad brush sometimes. They have to say, look, man, they, they've got to be very careful of things like price gouging and that kind of stuff. I think that, that, that obviously does happen. I, fortunately, I, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Todd, I and our community certainly have heard of none of that. But I think it does happen. Um, I'm always kind of... I'm always wary when I hear those things. When, whenever I dig a little bit deeper, there's always the man. I don't know what happened. I just got suspended, and I think <laughs> just out of the blue, huh? I mean, I, I don't know. It, it could it could happen, but so, sometimes it's not always the full story. So I'll just leave it. At yeah, that. no, I could be honest. <clears throat> you know, when we've uh, had suspensions a few years ago, like deep down, you know, we took some shortcuts that uh, led to those occurrences. So you're right. There is usually more to the story. I, it's just, uh, I always want to give people caution and like, uh, you know, uh, right now is a very unique time and yeah. I wouldn't try and capitalize on uh, products that are under the microscope of both the media and Amazon. There are, aside from that, there are actually so many other opportunities. I, uh, w- I'll actually tell you this category because this podcast probably won't go live for two or three weeks, but we're focusing and have been focusing on puzzles. As you can imagine, people are uh, smart are, are remote and like the inventory in Amazon of puzzles is just like stocked out. And we've been, we've been selling them. We've been sending them FBM 
and it's been good. You know, it, it, it keeps uh, our engine going and our employees busy. So for the products that we cannot sell or send into FBA, that we've got something that's uh, good. So there's just a lot of ways to pivot right now. And um, in a future podcast, I'll probably hit more on our FBM efforts and how we are doing that. Um, so, uh, but this is like Amazon's moment and we, we've talked about that. Like they will be a different company. They are hiring 100,000 employees. Mm-hmm. And well, I know you guys really believe in Amazon and have for years. So how, um, you know, moving forward, uh, how does, uh, what's your approach to what's going on? You know, a uh, couple of quick observations, uh, and, and then I'm going to give you a specific answer. But in the past, Amazon always catches a lot of heat because they don't react soon enough. And over the last couple of weeks, what's really impressed me about Amazon is how they're, they tend to be more right on point. And, and also to what you said earlier, Amazon, yeah, they, sometimes they tend to overreact. But when you're a company that big, you know, sometimes the only solution they can swing is that sledgehammer instead of, you know, being a little more surgical in their strike, if you will. And I don't fault Amazon for that because they do want to err on the side of caution. But moving forward, we've seen some amazing things happen with Amazon, right? And to, to what you spoke to earlier about FBM, the um, being able to fulfill merchandise yourself, they have opened that door wide because they care so much about that customer experience, their buyers, that they are now looking at handling time and the time for the item actually arriving uh, to the customer as, as to what they're going to award that buy box on. So we're having yep. these people who have never been able to get a buy box because majority of their business was fulfilled by merchant, either because of hazardous products or it wasn't profitable if they sent it to FBA. Wow, those doors have opened wide. And with Amazon stepping back maybe three, four weeks in delivery times, um, merchants now are seeing their business go up tenfold overnight because they're able to fulfill their own products. So I see that continuing to a certain extent. We don't know how long it's going to take Amazon to quote unquote normalize and get those delivery times down on the prime products. We have no idea what's really going to happen with the whole Prime program because now you have people paying all this money every year, depending on that two-day delivery. They literally, you know, they indoctrinated people over the last 15 years on getting this stuff fast. And that's changed substantially now. But I think what you also said that is incredibly interesting is even in not being opportunistic with going after you know, the types of products that obviously they're looking at very close. Chris and I call those sexy products, right? A product that just makes your eyes light up and your body tingle because you can just smell how much money you're going to make dealing in those kinds of products. We tend to stay away from that on an everyday basis just because we like high profits and lower competition. So I, I think what's really happening and people that 
can pivot quickly, especially over the next, say, between now and the next few months. Products that have never, ever been um, high volume have now seen enough of an uptick that if you can get supply on those products and ship yourself, whether it's through a warehouse or your kitchen table, you're going to be able to sell more of products that weren't, weren't always as popular. They're more popular, but they're still not sexy. And I think that's, that's a key area people should be looking at. Sure. I, I like evergreen products, you know, um, as I mean, Amazon's changing a lot right now. We're only buying products that even if, you know, things go back to normal, that they're going to, you know, sell at a consistent clip. And yeah, there's a new normal, right? I mean, when we have increased traffic to a platform, you're going to have increased sales. Amazon has proven this with their prime days. And so literally it's been prime day every day for us for like 10 days now. And the stresses on their infrastructure have to be amazing because think of all that planning they put into that one prime day. And now all of a sudden, like I said, literally 10 prime days in a row. So the new normal is just going to mean more traffic to the platform. More traffic always means more sales across the board. Uh, so Todd, I want to ask, no, 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 sorry, Chris, I want to ask you, um, you've done private label with Amazon a fair amount and you transitioned into wholesale. Um, why'd you do it? (laughs) What, and and (laughs) what experience from private label have you been able to use to, um, help you, uh, wholesale and Amazon better? Yeah, great question. To be clear, for the for the people probably screaming at their computer or their phone, no, 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 man, private label's a thing and it's still good. I, I don't, uh, I don't begrudge anybody doing private label, and we do some of that. Um, but what I, what I tell people is, we we stumble into private label. We find through wholesale private labelable products. If that makes some sense. But I made the um, I made the switch from corporate to Amazon. Um, like many people had wanted, I needed geographic independence. I was really tired of, of, of doing the corporate thing. And Amazon gave me a lot of freedom. I took, unbeknownst to me, Todd and I had similar beliefs in the unsexy model. So I saw at the time there was a really big popular learn how to sell on Amazon program. And it taught private label. And everybody suggested, look at the top 100 or top 500 bestseller rank products and go replicate those in China. And I thought, well, that's great. But not only if everybody here in this, in this training program and, and kind of around the world is sort of learning that model, what, what's the point? You're all just creating your own competition. So I decided to pivot even there and take a unsexy approach and said, why don't I look at things in the bestseller rank in the 10,000 to 20 to 30,000 range? They're still staggering amounts of sales there. That's what I did. And I did quite well. I made the switch to wholesale because I, I found that I was quite leveraged uh, when I was sourcing in China. Uh, one of my products that did incredibly well was a standing desk mat. But my cost of goods on that item was 15 bucks. And I could retail for close to $75. It was phenomenal, great margins. But because of the purchase order I'd put into China would be uh, 30% upfront 70% upon bill of lading as soon as it went over the rail of the ship and these were big and bulky and heavy I wasn't going to air freight I'm I'm floating 100% of that order 
across the water, get it to the get it to the US, get it to FBA and start selling. The minute I start selling, I'd have to put in another PO. So I'm floating $50,000 per PO. So I'm 100K into a, a product that is just starting to sell, Jeez. hoping I can realize my profitability. And, and yeah, Jesus, right. So I sat back and said, wow, man, that's one skew. So I'm star- staring at the ceiling at night thinking, and it had happened, thinking, what if the shipping company goes belly up? I mean, one of the largest multi-billion dollar shipping companies out of the blue, I think it was two years ago, just said, yeah, we're all done and closed their doors. What if a ship, what if a ship runs aground, crashes? What if a global pandemic happens? And here it right. is, right? So, and, and not something I, this is not an I told you so, this is my own kind of thought process saying, wow, can you, can you still be in the Amazon space, but leverage far less capital source something locally and and have a better time. I found Todd, here we are, wholesale is much better. The inventory turns that we can get at any given time with private label, it was three, four, maybe. We're going to take that investment and maybe get three to four times on it. In the wholesale model, you should get 12, 14, 15. I mean, you can turn that same investment so many times because they're US-based suppliers. You're only holding inventory on hand two and a half weeks, three weeks. You don't have to. Ha- you don't have. You don't have to float entire container loads worth of stuff for your inventory. So, I made that switch for those for those reasons um, among others, and it's it certainly paid off handsomely. Interesting. Yeah, there's. Um, you know, you can talk about risk a lot. Um, I mean, uh, the more I like toy around with the stock market, you know, you start thinking about (laughs) risk and Amazon can really feel a lot like the stock market and you're assessing risk at every single point. And, you know, the more money you have, the more you want to like shore up your, your risk. And one thing that like, you know, keeping a, a, a healthy account, you know, you're reducing your risk uh, of your business. And, um, in, so, you know, working with like, you know, U.S.-based products uh, where, you know, the, the, you have your inventory closer to you at every, at any given moment, right. uh, definitely reduces your risk. All right. So, um, one thing that like is a, is a challenge for a lot of wholesale sellers is you, you get rejection. You know, you, you're trying to source products and you find some brands or you show up at a trade show and everyone already has an answer like that they don't want another FBA seller. Um, but I know that you you have some like tools or like some parts of your business actually help answer those questions. So when people are having struggles with sourcing, what what do you tell them or what do you do? Well, there's actually, there's a couple of things, a couple of ways I can answer that. And let me just say that for as long as we've been consulting with people that want to sell on Amazon and even large Amazon sellers, supply of profitable products is is at the top of everybody's list. I mean, if everybody knew where to find super profitable products, then there'd be a whole lot more people doing Amazon as a full-time profession. So we recognized this need and also recognized that we had had relationships with suppliers that were anywhere from five to 10 years long. And these were suppliers that weren't even opening brand new accounts for anybody. They were already maxed out with the, with the distribution that they had between their brick and mortar customers and online customers. 
So what we did was actually formed our own online distribution business and started to allow our members, especially the ones that were overseas, to use our supplier accounts through our new distribution company. So we, in fact, became a sub-distributor. Oh, interesting. So you guys are a supplier. Not only are we a supplier, but we're a recognized by Amazon wholesale supplier, which took a long time (laughs) for for that to happen. Yeah. But that's the trick. I mean, it's not even just where do I buy this stuff? It's how do I make Amazon happy, right? Right. And so... Um, t- tell me more about that. Like, what, if people like want to source products, like, like what products do you have, and how do you know that they're profitable? All right. So, what we've done is, um, and much like yourself, we have somewhere close to three thousand wholesale supplier accounts set up that we could buy from. But the reality of the matter is, only about maybe two hundred and twenty of them are really worth dealing with. Um, on a, on a more than a fractional percent of time, right? You're going to, it's still what, 80-20 rule. We're going to buy 80% of our products from 20% of our suppliers. So we take the suppliers that are falling in that 20% and, and we let the people we work with, you know, buy through our accounts. We make everything available to them. There's like well over a million SKUs. And the first question that we get is, well, are all million of those SKUs profitable? And the answer is, of course not. So much like yourself and other professional sellers, we use a product, uh, or I should say a piece of software that allows us to take these inventory files and the real-time market information at Amazon and give us a whole bunch of data points so that we can know what the most profitable products are, the highest margin, the ones that are going to sell the best. Because we look at it a lot like a game, right? Whoever has the best tools, the best uh, armor, the, you know, the best uh, strategies, they're going to win that game. And, and that software is an important part of that. Because you could put all of your available capital into the wrong products. And they may be profitable products, but are they the most profitable Are they allowing you the shortest number of days of inventory on hand with the highest number of inventory turns or not? We found that most sellers need to improve those two metrics and just instantly the same amount of money allows them to make more profit. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, uh, we've made a lot of decisions uh, to, you know, we uh, have a large inventory size and if you run the numbers, if we're able to increase our turn by like, I don't know, five, 10, 15%, like over a course of a year, how much that impacts things. And so we use a lot of little data points to make small gains here or there, or, you know, say you have a hundred products or like you you say a million products. Um, there usually could be a few data points that you could look at that would be like, okay, of these million, like which ones are slightly better than the others. And, you know, you, the more data you can throw at it, the more you can filter to, towards the absolute winners. And yeah, I couldn't so agree you're, with that you're more. definitely speaking my language here. <laughs> what's so funny is you know, people ask me all the time, well, what's the average margin of this product? 
And I kind of giggle inside because they're missing the point. The point is, is if you do this correctly, those numbers approach infinity. I mean, if you can take the same money, right, and use it 18.6 times a year, and you're getting that back on average every 20, you know, six days or whatever, it almost becomes meaningless to figure out numbers like that. So you have to work on a, on a, uh, on a smaller molecular scale. And every single time that we go to reorder a product, it gets reanalyzed, not only for profitability, but should that money go back into that product or, or a different product? And so you're constantly sharpening your ax and we take the reordering time uh, as, as the opportunity to make those kinds of decisions on average, probably every, you know, 26 days. Right. No, totally. There's still um, more to unpack. You mentioned that as a authorized supplier, uh, you know, where Amazon recognizes you, like you guys help people get ungated in you know, in categories that might be difficult to. It's not that we're, we're an ungating service because we're not. Right. When people, yeah, I just, that's, that's not even a business I want to be in. Huh. But the, the people that we work with, you know, if they need help, they could, they're going to have to purchase the product. It's going to go to our warehouse and then they can use the invoice that we issue to go through the un, ungating All uh, right. process. Okay. People don't understand how federally regulated this, this area is. And uh, people that would like just say, hey, just give me some invoices so I get ungated, have no idea what they're asking because it's, it's very, very illegal to do that. So we operate you know, a real business that if you need to get ungated, right, you buy the product, you submit the invoice, and based on you know, your history with Amazon, the little Amazon bot is going to take a look at everything about your account and decide whether they auto-approve you or not. But the invoice itself won't be, won't be the issue. If they don't open you up, it won't be because they, they didn't like the invoice, right? All right. We, have, we have like someone that's almost full-time that does nothing but answer the phone from Amazon verifying invoices. That's how intense they wow. are you know, with making sure of authenticity. They have copies of our invoices scanned into their system you know, so that when, I'm sorry, go ahead. That, that gives me actually a little bit of confidence in Amazon that they're doing some due diligence that, you know, we, I have never doctored an invoice, but I've always thought I could, you know, um, and I'm certain that at some point they, they decided that they have to, do, to have to do due diligence regarding these yeah anybody listening i mean i, I know you're somewhat t- don't do that <laughs> yeah, don't and, and they, they to, have to some your, pretty sophisticated uh, technology do. that allows yeah. them to look at a document and determine whether or not it has any any editing done to it whatsoever it's kind of scary oh really um yeah i, I so would they have never a lot of different levels of verification I mean, if, if there's anything, you just have to imagine at the scale that they are at, if there's, um, if you have a, 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 say a black hat idea or whatever, someone's already tried it. And, and if someone's already tried it, Amazon's already seen it and they have figured out how to like squish that out. And so I'll never, they, they even, they even test us. I mean, they will literally call and say, 
where on your invoice is your logo located and what color is it? <laughs> so it's like they don't even trust the person they're calling until they can determine that they know, you know, what they're talking about. It's pretty interesting. Wow. Yeah. No, they, they, I mean, I, I like hearing about Amazon doing due diligence. That gives me more confidence in the platform. Um, and I don't like conversations where I like reduce confidence and, um, and as like, as things move on, this is my opinion here. Amazon is actually going to survive and actually thrive through our current pandemic. They are going to be, you know, more important to the fabric of America as, you know, they represent a larger share of transactions and, you know, logistics that's going on. They're just, uh, and they're going to, they're going to push, you know, I think there may be a five, 600,000 employees. Like this is a big deal. And so I, like that they are giving scrutiny and so know, much of, you know even though we're going through some incredible times right now much of what they do is so well in place so well entrenched that is just business as usual for oh, them. sure you know we we still get the phone calls you know you, they're still answering tickets you know sellers are still getting approved to sell still you know a little slower than they would like right but Amazon, I mean, they're just showing that they're solid, but they're being tested. And yep. they're smart enough to know how to pivot and to communicate and to implement policy quickly. When I, That was always my concern in the past. It's like, hey, I need a decision on something. And, you know, you might wait six months <laughs> right? because of yep. the, the old theory about having to, to turn a huge battleship, right? But yeah. the fact that they've turned into this a little speedboat on so many recent policy things, it's just really incredible to me. And, and to your point, very, very heartening. Gives me a lot of confidence too. All right. Well, um, no, you guys have a, a lot of uh, experience, a lot of knowledge. You guys have helped a lot of people, you know, start businesses from scratch. You helped people um, scale as well. Say they, they hit a, a roadblock and, you know, they, they kind of need a, a pivot on Amazon, like you have done yourself, probably more than once. And um, you guys also lead a community uh, of of sellers, which I would imagine. You know, I'm never like I've always enjoyed like getting questions answered really quickly from a community. Community. So tell me a little bit more about that. We had started. When, when Todd and I partnered up in our business, um, we, we won't go through the whole story, but, but honestly, we were almost dragged reluctantly into the teach us how to do what you're doing space. Um, there, there, early on, there was a bit of a wild west of, oh, yeah, I'll show you how to sell on Amazon. And, and at the time, man, we saw way too many people offering up information that we felt was or was just we could clearly see was just wrong or or disingenuous or these people we knew they weren't selling on Amazon at all that bothered us. And we did, we started a, a, a community and a training program to help people through that. And I'm, I'm very bullish personally on the idea of entrepreneurship, um, particularly at any stage of life. Um, given the circumstances now that's kind of on the tip of people's tongue, like, Oh my gosh, 
I'm home. What do I do? What can I do to earn money? I, I left actually at a good time. I, I left in 2013, left a corporate gig, but that was a, that, that really was a function of, and the main impetus of that move was the 0708 financial mess and saying, man, I need to be better in control of, of my life, my finances, my purpose, my direction. So we're still very bullish on Amazon and we have a community of people because I think going it solo um, in the entrepreneurial route, I give people credit that do that. But you had mentioned at the very top of the podcast, you're meeting people and you're expanding your horizons and you're networking. We want wanted and still want to do the same thing. And our community, Wholesale Product Mastery, does just that. And okay. we do teach people. We teach people how to do it, where to do it, how to pivot, where pick people up when they, they skin their knees and dust them off and pat them on the butt and say, go, do it again. You know, rinse and repeat, figure it out and, and get their questions answered quickly. And we, we continue to support those people in that effort. Um, and as a, as a second question to that, you, as a supplier, how does someone, uh, you know, get in touch with you? Uh, because I, you know, I hear in my business on a daily basis, especially like right now is, we have an engine and we need to find more products. Uh, and so, you know, you've actually piqued my interest. Uh, and I didn't realize, you know, going into this podcast, that that's what I was going to be thinking about. Um, so how do people get a hold of you as a, as a, as a supplier? Well, the best place to start is at our website, which is a www.wholesaleproductmastery.com slash info. There's, there's a little more information there, a couple of videos to watch. Um, well, we, don't, we, don't, we don't work with everybody because we, we don't have the capacity. So we want to talk to everybody, make sure they're a good fit. And if it sounds like they're a good fit, then we let people into our program. So it's just, it isn't anything that people sure. can go and just fill out a form and, and start in the afternoon. Right, right. Um, I'll throw that uh, website on our show notes and encourage people to check it out. Um, I'll be checking it out. Uh, is there, uh, I mean, uh, we, we, we covered a lot of uh, topics and um, I'm going to be following up hopefully to, uh, you know, learn some more. Um, Thank you guys so much for being on the show. Is there anything that I, that I left on the table or, uh, you know, any final um, words? I would encourage everybody that if, especially at the time that we're in right now, not to turtle, not to hunker down, not to keep your powder dry, go out there and be adventurous. Sometimes it is jumping off that cliff and building the plane on the way down. But if you want to be a true entrepreneur, you know, that's what you need to do. And for a lot of people, you know, it takes a crisis to bring, to bring change into their lives. And I, I hate to think that this is a crisis for somebody, but if it's going to make people finally make that change that they've really been wanting to do to take either that next step, right, or move their business to a higher level for, for the sake of themselves and their family, then take that action. Do something today to move yourself closer towards those goals. Awesome. Well said. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything else, Scott. Other than that, just take that step forward. It's a if this is the impetus to get you to the place you need to need to be. Take the take the negative and turn it to a big positive. There's opportunity abound even in the worst yeah. of situations. So oh, thanks I, for your time. Appreciate it. I we our business is changing a lot, and I'm 
you know, slightly, I'm optimistic about uh, ways our business can change and make th- it through this. And, you know, I'm still, I don't still, <laughs> that, uh, not allegory, whatever you call it, that metaphor that you said about, you know, uh, jumping off a cliff and building the plane on the way down. I am still uh, feel like I'm still building that plane. And I always want to be in that space where like we have to kind of reinvent ourselves only with that kind of mindset. Do I think we'll actually land? So uh, thank you guys so much for coming on. And uh, if you guys enjoyed the show, please share with a friend and, uh, or share the entire podcast with a friend. That is the most flattering thing you can do. Um, and thank you for your time. And I hope you guys, uh, st- everyone, everyone in the audience, stays safe and uh, you know, and but stays entrepreneurs, so we, we can uh, rebound as a you know as a collective through this. All right, that's it. Thank you, and catch you next time. Thanks, God. Be well. Thank you. One, two, three. This episode has been produced by LaunchPod Media.